0: All right. Welcome back to Drop Pass Podcast. Ninth episode is now underway. And last week we had a record-breaking episode of over 50 minutes in length, which was by far the longest one yet. So, if you haven't listened to that one yet, go check it out first cuz this one will be continuation to the previous episode. We will dive to the NHL entry draft as it will be hosted next week after the expansion draft. And I'll publish the expansion draft episode in the beginning of next week before the actual draft, because I want to make my own predictions before they announce the official roster. Like I've said, next week we will finally see the 32nd team in the NHL, and that is the Seattle Kraken, who will take its place in the Pacific Division, while Arizona Coyotes move to the central division but rest of the speculation we will leave for the next episode because today we will take a look at the entry draft which will be one of the most unique in the NHL history since some of the players haven't played any competitive hockey this year and come to the draft with relative disadvantage to others who played shortened seasons and even added appearances in the U18s as well at the same time This creates a huge opportunity for teams to get gems that have been dismissed by the other teams. And although this draft class is seen as an inferior or more compact with small margins between players compared to next two drafts. Overall, we could see huge surprises in the next five years in the NHL because of this exact draft. And we could even see big surprises already on the first day of the draft. But that's the package for today and we can move right on to the episode itself. So without further ado, let's get going. Forza Azuri. I told you guys from the start that it wasn't coming home. And unfortunately for you, England fans, it ended up becoming true. They went further than I thought and played very good football but at the end they met their superiors in the final which was a really close contest. It was a ballsy move from Gareth Southgate to put three youngsters in charge of their medal and this time it didn't pay off but hopefully this experience will just add fuel to their fires after seeing how close they were. You have to keep in mind that these three Rashford, Sancho and Saka have their careers in front of them and overall their core was relatively young compared to the Italian squad for example so you should expect to see them in the finals in the future as well. Mason Mound, Phil Foden, Ben Chilwell, Declan Rice, Calvin Phillips, Reese James, Ben White, Jack Grealish and Jude Bellingham alongside these three guys mentioned before will form extremely competitive squad for the next decade, but now just wasn't their time. These guys will carry this team in the next coming years, so it was exceptionally repulsive to see fans posting racist slurs on social media. And I'm not going to generalize all English or football fans, but those who are guilty of this behavior are just the worst. And to be completely honest, I wouldn't even call them fans after seeing how bad it can get. These kind of things just don't have place in modern society and sports, especially where you compete against nations and people across the globe who compete on even playing field and are equal regardless of religion, color or heritage. I didn't want to start this episode with negative thoughts but I felt that it needed to be addressed since racism doesn't belong to this generation. They earned their spots in the penalty shootout and this time the time wasn't right for these guys but it will come sooner than later, I believe that. But like I said, England has bright future in front of them as do some other countries and this competition proved that to be true. Young players such as Pedri Michael Damsgaard, Jeremy Doku and Alexander Isaac, among others, really shine in this tournament and raised their values as well as interest from big European clubs. Pedri, who was voted as the best young player in this tournament, had a sensational tournament, even though Spain didn't make the finals. He showcased his brilliant football IQ, dribbling and passing skills and was one of the most intriguing players to watch throughout the competition overall. He is one of the most sought after young prospects in football and this tournament just proved why that is the case. His technical skills are off the charts and his potential is sky high so Barcelona should have their midfield maestro in their hands for years to come. Alexander Isaac who also showed real promise up top for the Swedes and the nation is now already hoping that he becomes the next Zlatan but I wouldn't bet my house on that to happen unfortunately. In addition, Denmark's Mikkel Damsgaard had a very strong showing in this year's competition and his team's manager already came out and said that if you want him you have to sacrifice an arm and leg to get him since he has one year left on his contract and isn't leaving for cheap. Just like Damsgaard, Belgium's Jeremy Doku showed his potential with limited playing time and especially his dribbling and speed with the ball really stood out. He was probably their most dangerous winger alongside Eden Hazard, who mostly operated in the midfield when Doku specialised in creating chances from the right wing, like he does in Stade Rene. The 19-year-old will most likely transfer to a bigger team in the next few years and earn his place amongst the best young wingers in Europe. There were many other youngsters who stood out in this year's tournament, but no one else was quite at the level of the best player in this tournament, Italy's 22 year old goaltender Gianluigi Donnarumma, who at least now should be considered as one of the best keepers in the game, no any ifs or buts about it. He was the last line of defense for Italy and came out with remarkable saves throughout the tournament, but you can't mention Donnarumma without acknowledging the two ageless center backs in front of him, Giorgio Cialini and Leonardo Bonucci. These twin towers have solidified themselves as one of the best centre-back pairs in the history and were the backbone of the Italian squad once again. In the midfield, their maestro was Jorginho, who topped off his sensational season of winning the Champions League with Chelsea and the Euros with Italy while having one of the best seasons of his career. He was as well vital for their success and orchestrated their midfield with calm and composed manner. Up top, Lorenzo Insigne was as dangerous as ever and created most of their chances in their attacks. On the hind side, one of the biggest disappointments of this tournament though was their striker Ciro Immobile, who only scored two goals in this competition and went unnoticed in most of their games. He was, for the most part, their starting striker, but eventually found himself on the bench in most matches after the halftime. He couldn't really create chances for himself and lacked the hunger to a certain degree, which showed in his scoring sheet, or at least I saw it that way. Their young players, Nicola Barella, Manuel Locatelli, Federico Chiesa, and wingbacks Leonardo Spinazzola, Emerson, and Giovanni Di Lorenzo, made a great impression as well, and were great on both ends of the pitch. I don't know how so many analysts didn't believe in them coming into this tournament since they had very good combination of youth and veteran leadership in their squad and really earned their gold this time around. Maybe the lack of absolute star power was the decreasing factor, but they didn't seem to care too much, and with great team effort and strategy set by their manager, Roberto Mancini took home the gold. So, big congratulations to the light blues. To wrap up the UFC 264, it wasn't as explosive as some might have thought. Overall, it was a relatively competitive card, and we saw a few very decent fights. Personally, I was almost 6 out of 6 with my predictions when it came down to the winners, not so much for the finishes. With the only exception being the fight between Akhmedov and Tavares, which went to Tavares by decision. Max Griffin won his fight against Carlos Condit. Sugarshan O'Malley put on an absolute striking galore for three rounds against Chris Moutinho. And you have to tip your cap to Moutinho for taking on O'Malley with... 11 day notice the unfortunate thing was that both the skill difference and the lack of preparation played a part in this fight and Moutinho's face was unrecognizable after three rounds when the referee put an end to that contest and like I said in the previous episode O'Malley is starting to look like an actual title contender Now he just has to make his way into the top 10 and take on top 15 fighter in order to climb towards the title. But the way he has fought recently, I don't believe that is a problem for the upcoming fighter. Also, Ty Bam Bam Tuivasa put Greg Hardy to sleep in the first round. And Gilbert Burns was also outstanding against Stephen Wonderboy Thompson. The fight went mostly like I expected, Burns dominating the fight on the ground and winning the bout by unanimous decision. Next he will take on one of the top 5 contenders depending on who earns the next title shot against Usman. But I expect to see him in the octagon relatively soon after dominating performance. Lastly, I have something for all you Conor fans. The hype train is starting to close its destination and this might have been the last nail to the coffin. And before you start to argue that the injury wasn't caused by Poirier, he checked a hard kick with his right leg. Check the footage. Just admit that the star has started to dim down. His life is just somewhere else than the ring these days. And nowadays you just can't come into the octagon and take on some 15 ranked fighter just like that not to mention number one ranked challenger who has toughest nails and has back-to-back wins over you. In the champ-champ days, he was that dominant that he could have done it, but now that the others have put in the work and gained the ground in between, I don't see him taking any more else after his rehab because he ain't the same corner anymore. He has earned his titles and doesn't have much more to prove anymore, so why risk injury just to get your name out there? Also, his antics are starting to get real old, and the way he prepares for the fights, specifically the mental warfare, has always been in the grey areas and once again he even crossed the line by bringing up Diamond's family. Now that he has suffered losses to guys whose families he has mocked before the fight, he should really tone it down and probably even close the shop if he doesn't find a way to set up some kind of legacy match for himself. You just don't disrespect family like that and karma made sure of it. They ain't part of the fight and you take it to extreme. You gotta have borders bro, even Russia has those. All props go to Dustin for being the professional on handling the business as he should. And the only way I see the rematch happening is if Diamond wants to beat the guts out of McCrecker the way Habib did. But if Conor has even 6 month recovery period from his injury... Poirier could be already challenging for the title and Connor shouldn't be on his radar at that point anymore. But that puts an end note to the events from the past week and we jump to the NHL entry draft, which, like I said, is pretty unique and kind of a coin toss in regards of predicting the outcome. Throughout the season, different scouting agencies have shuffled different players in the top 10 and even the first overall pick has seen seven different players on that spot. The consensus number one pick Owen Power, his teammate Matthew Beniers, Luke Hughes, youngest of the Hughes brothers, Brent Clark, and three Swedes, defenseman Simon Edvinson, forward William Eklund, and goaltender Jesper Walstead is the wild card of the first round. In addition, once the WHL season started Edmonton Oil Kings forward Dylan Genther, turned the league to stretch and elevated his name to top 5 conversation while forwards. Mason McTavish, Kent Johnson and Fabian Lucell have made their statements to become top 10 picks in this year's draft. And before we head into the analysis, the order of the top 10 picks is currently as follows. Number 10, Ottawa. Number 9, Vancouver. Number 8, LA. Number 7, San Jose. Number 6, Detroit. Number 5, Columbus. Number 4, New Jersey. Number 3, Anaheim. Number 2, Seattle. And number 1, Buffalo. But expect to see some changes before or at the draft. We will go through the top guys in this draft and I will give you a bit of an insight into what kind of players these young guns are. To start things off, for the most of the season, Owen Power has been the number one guy on most mock drafts and draft rankings, so that's why he deserves honors to be introduced as the first player. The Victor Hedman-esque 6'6", 195 centimeters, 214 pound, 97 kilos, two-way defenseman finished his freshman year in the University of Michigan with 16 points in 26 games and was part of the gold-winning Canadian team in the World Championships with three assists in 10 games. He had a very strong showing in the World Championships, which has solidified his spot in the top three. He's a very well-rounded defenseman with good skating and puck skills for his size. And while his ceiling isn't the highest, he's probably one of the most certain NHL players in this draft because of his huge size and overall abilities on the ice. He is very solid in both ends of the ice and for example quarterbacked Canada's power play unit in the back end of the tournament. His hockey IQ is high end and his projection is a top end NHL defenseman. While his ceiling is in as high as Dalin's coming into the draft, he could become a top pairing defenseman alongside Rasmus Dalin in the NHL in the future if Buffalo takes him at number one. While Dalin has been a bit underwhelming during his time in Buffalo, so has been the team, so you have to cut some slack. But at the same time, you have to be a bit worried about his production and development. The culture in Buffalo is rotten, and at this point it is very hard to get good players to the team, and they don't seem to know how to effectively develop their younger players. They have been god-awful for the past few years, and the young prospects haven't been able to reach their full potentials at this point, For example, Casey Middlestad and Rasmus Dahlin, who both were high first rounders and Dahlin was even expected to take the lead by storm. But that certainly hasn't happened. So I'm a bit worried about whoever the Buffalo takes, but hopefully Dahlin will start to find his game and reach his potential while he grooms power to be his partner in crime in Buffalo, if he is the number one pick. His teammate Matthew Beniers might as well go number one this year, which could mean that Michigan has both top two players in this year's draft. He was the only other player from this draft class to participate in the World Championships and recorded three points in seven games in the under 20 World Championships. So he certainly isn't one of the guys who didn't play any games this season. He was point per game in his freshman season in Michigan, and in 6 games recorded 2 points in the World Championships before getting injured in their 6th game and was unfortunately sidelined for the rest of the tournament Much like Power, he is one of the most well-rounded players of this draft and is one of the most surefire NHL players in the first round He has one of the best 2-way games in this draft class, great skating ability high-end box skills and great playmaking ability, which reminds me of young Jonathan Taves to a certain degree. He's the number one center of this draft, which will be a huge factor once the teams start to decide their futures. And now that Jack Eichel will most likely get dealt in the next few weeks, he could become their number one forward prospect right in front of first rounder Dylan Cousins. I wouldn't be surprised if this left-handed two-way center with high ceiling, could jump power for the first overall pick just based on his high-end two-way game and skating. Then we have one of the youngest players in this draft, who is the younger brother of former first overall pick Jack Hughes and former seventh overall pick Quinn Hughes. That is left-handed defenseman out of, you guessed it, Michigan, Luke Hughes, who spent his last season in the US NTDP and U18 team. His playstyle consists of the same strengths as his brothers, great skating and puck skills, but the biggest exception being that the youngest brother is this big defenseman who excels in the defensive zone as well. He stands at 6 foot 2, 188 centimeters to my Europeans, while both of his older brothers, Jack and Quinn, are under 6 foot, 182 centimeters. He's a very good skater for his size with long stride and good puck handling skills as you would expect, and with some development, we could see a very dangerous two-way defenseman with excellent puck-carrying ability. Some have said that Luke has probably the highest ceiling of the three brothers, which might be because of the size factor combined with the same bloodlines. But the injury during his season in the US and TDP has dropped his draft stock a bit from the start of the year, but most likely he will be a top 10 pick, if not a top 5 pick regardless. It would be fun to see him play alongside his brother Jack in New Jersey, since the Devils have the fourth overall pick, but don't expect the Devils to draft just based on that fact. Next up we have Barry Colts defenseman Brent Clark, who spent last season in the Slovakian league, when the OHL was on hold for the entire season. This right-handed defenseman projects to be a high-end top-four defenseman, who has some intriguing attributes which could boost him to become a top pairing defenseman in the future he has good puck skills and is a pretty good skater while his stride isn't the most smoothest he gets it done and the way he dominated the u18 tournament i wouldn't be scared to draft this guy with a high pick the 18 year old put up two goals and added five assists in seven games on their way to gold and even though his season started low in Slovakia, he was able to find this game and ended the season with 15 points in 26 games. He's very poised with the puck and has very high hockey IQ where he's able to read plays before they even happen. And while he isn't the soundest defenseman in this draft class, technically, those skills between your ears are hard to teach. So that's why he's so highly touted prospect coming into this draft. He will most likely find his way into the top 10 depending on the needs of each team and how the draft order molds eventually but wouldn't be surprised if someone takes him with a top 5 pick because of his offensive upside. He's still quite raw just like Hughes but with right development he could become extremely effective demon for years to come. Another Canadian prospect in the top end of this draft is the Edmonton All-Kings forward Dylan Genther, who saw his projection rise after a standout performance in the shortened WHL season, where he put up 12 goals and 12 assists in just 12 games. Yes, and added another 7 points in 7 games in the U18s. The right-handed 6'1", centimeter winger, is one of the best goalscorers in this draft and I was surprised at the start of the year where this guy was protected until he played his first games in the dub and people took notice. He's a shifty skater with great hands and ability to puck handle in a phone booth but like I said his biggest asset is his quick and accurate shot. He has a real goal scorer's mentality of finding the open lanes and spots on the ice where he can put the puck in the net and he was point per game in the U18 World Championships, like I said, so if teams need offensive firepower, this will be your guy in the top 10. Then we have a few very intriguing Swedish prospects, who will most likely find themselves in the top 10 of this year's draft. First we have dual forward William Eklund, who established a deadly partnership with New Jersey's prospect Alexander Holtz during his SHL season. He put up 23 points in 40 regular season games, which is impressive in its own right, but he added another 2 points in 3 playoff games in the postseason. He's a good skater with high end work ethic, puck skills, and hockey IQ, and on nightly basis, he is able to create space for himself and for his teammates. He's also a very good two way player, and while he isn't as skilled, in my opinion, as Devil's Nico Hichier, He has same kind of elements to his games, where he is very dialed in in all three zones and creates scoring chances in almost every shift and can push defenders back with his skating. His numbers in the SHL stand out, and that's why he's expected to go high in this draft. And he has already said that he will be back in Sweden to work on his explosiveness and skating even more, which could boost his potential to a elite two-way playmaker. This guy could end up being the best player in this draft since many scouts have said that he might have the biggest upside amongst his peers based on his production, skills and work ethic. I wouldn't say he would be a wild card in the top 3 but if some team misses him in the top 5 they will regret their decision most likely. And it wouldn't surprise me if the Sabres take a gamble and pick this guy first overall but hopefully not. Then there is the 6 foot 5, 195 cm left-handed all around defenseman from Frölunda, Simon Edvinson, who has been all over the draft boards. He has been the wildcard of this draft because of his size, great skating and poised buck moving ability. And last season he saw 10 games in the SHL, 14 games in the Junior 20 National and eventually was loaned to Vasteros at the end of the season where he played 14 games, recording 5 assists and adding 3 points in 6 qualification games for them. He also had a favorable performance in the U18 World Championships, where Sweden took home bronze medal and he recorded 4 points in 7 games. While his game is still very raw, his all-around ability from his strong gap control in his own zone to extreme puck carrying ability, are very intriguing assets to have at his age. Some have said that he could be worth the first overall pick because of his raw talent, but I see him more in the range of 3-8, where for example Anaheim, New Jersey and Columbus could bolster their back ends with raw, but extremely promising two-way talent. Last week I wanted to mention when it comes to the top picks is the Luleo goaltender Jesper Wallstedt, who at some point was seen as possible number one pick in this year's draft because of his sovereign season in the Swedish junior and elite leagues as well as on the international stage. The 6'3", 195cm, technically sound goalie, has been the number one goalie in this draft for a long time now. And last season he already played 22 games for Luleå in the SHL with 0.908 save percentage and 2.23 goals against average. Which is very respectable for 18-year-old puck stopper. He's a strong and fluid in his crease and doesn't shy away from challenging the shooters. While having good size and quick hands to stop the pucks, some scouts have had him even in the top five. But isn't a huge surprise since the draft is so wide open and many teams lack their future franchise goaltender. Teams such as Detroit, San Jose. Ottawa and Chicago could take a look at Swedish goalie, since they don't have as highly touted goalie prospect in their ranks. But overall, it is hard to say where he ends up, since even Seattle, New Jersey and Columbus could take a flyer at him, since top-end goalies are hard to come by, and this draft might be the one to take a goalie in the early stage. Don't be surprised when he goes in the top five. Then we arrived to the more unpredictable picks for the early first round. Canadians Mason McTavish and Kent Johnson, alongside another Swede, Fabian Lucelle, have made a good impression this season to compete for the top spots in this draft. McTavish was one of the best players in the U18 World Championships and raised his draft stock tremendously after notching 11 points in 7 games. He spent this season in the Swiss second tier, and stood out amongst the competition by recording 11 points in 13 games and added 7 points in 4 playoff games. This big centerman has improved his skating tremendously in the past few years and has become a threat with and without a puck. He has a big body which he utilizes very well and it doesn't hurt that he has decided to drive to the net with physicality. He's a pure cold scorer and like I said he drives in front of the net he has good hands to finish the plays up close and a booming shot to find the open holes on goaltenders. He could become a very reliable top 6 power forward slash sniper who can notch 30 calls in a season on regular basis, much like the young James Van Riemsdyk did. Another U18 standout was Swedish winger Fabian Lussell, who amused the audiences with great stick handling, mobility and speed and one of the highlight real goals of the tournament. The right-handed winger spent most of the season in the SHL playing for Luleå, where he put up just 3 points in 26 games, but once the under-18 started, he took over and was by far the best player for Team Sweden, with 9 points in 7 games. He's extremely creative player and has the ability to serve as a goal scorer as well as playmaker with good shot and great playmaking ability. It also doesn't hurt that he's one of the best skaters in this draft class with swift stride and great mobility. While he needs to bulk up in order to make a bigger impact in the professional level. This guy has the makings of a prolific top 6 winger in the next stage and could even creep up towards the top 5 if teams see his upside similar to, for example, Tampa Bay's Braden Point. Last player on this same class is the Canadian stick virtuoso Kent Johnson, whose highlight reel goals you were able to enjoy on social media this season. He's one of the most elusive stick handlers in this draft, and his hockey IQ is off the charts. He spent his freshman year in the same school as two others in this draft, the University of Michigan, and Scouts had to take notice when he registered 27 points in 26 games in his first season in the NCAA. He's an extremely creative playmaker who reads the play well, while his biggest downside is his skating, which has lots to improve if he wants to be effective point producer in the NHL. He's expected to go in the top 10, but at times he was even in the top 3 in some rankings, so you can expect some team to take a flyer on this guy and hope he becomes a high-end top-six producer. Although he has a relatively high ceiling, thanks to his hockey IQ and puck skills, he is somewhat a boom-or-bust type of player, thanks to his mediocre skating, and a bad habit of finding himself losing pucks in the offensive zone, because of his stick handling. At times, he tends to try to do too much with the puck, which eventually leads to turnovers, but when he has his head up and decides to pass the puck, he makes extremely good plays with the puck and the numbers in the NCAA back that up. If he gets to a team with patience and good youth staff, he could blossom into a very effective first liner with high production upside, but we'll see where he finally ends up. After these players, the draft is pretty wide open. Jes Luces, for example, was projected to be a sure top 10 pick before the season started, and he even proved why there were such talks about him when he scored 13 goals in 12 games in the USNTDP and added five assists to go along with his scoring numbers. But knee injury suffered prior to this season came back to haunt him and ended his season prematurely. His injury has affected his draft stock quite tremendously because the scouts have only seen him play for a short period of time this season, and he wasn't even available for the U18s. But despite the injury. He is still protected as highly skilled top six winger with big scoring upside. He has one of the best shots in this draft class and if teams won't weigh too much on his injury, they could receive a big return for drafting this crafty goal scorer. But I wouldn't be surprised if he drops more than we think next week. There are still serious questions about the significance of the injury and when you combine it with his just above average skating, you start to ask yourself if this guy is worth the shot. On the other hand, former NHL forward Mike Zillinger's son Cole has seen his stock rising after five goals in the U18 tournament. Overall, he had a solid season in the USHL, notching 46 points in 31 games, and he projects to be one of the best goal scorers of this draft, which has had a big impact on his draft stock in addition to NHL bloodlines. He draws the net hard and has the skill set to become a solid top six winger for some NHL team looking for scoring touch. He competes hard and even though his skating is in the lead, he finds himself in the open spots on the ice to put the puck back in the net. But on the other hand, his deficiencies in his defensive game could drop him significantly in the draft order. He has the top 15 skills but the weaknesses are noticeable as well and we've seen his ranking go from 10 to 30th so no clue where he will eventually end up. Another praised goalscorer who has seen his stock rising is an American Matthew Coronado who has committed to Harvard University for the next season. He spent his last season in the USHL as well and finished the season as the second best point producer and best goalscorer in the league with impressive 85 points in 51 games. It has to be said that he benefited big time from the presence of Montreal Canadiens draft pick Sean Farrell, who blew out his previous point totals with 101 points in 53 games. Coronado shows good dexterity with the puck, and as we can see, by the way, he has been able to put the puck in the back of the net. He has the knack for goal scoring as well. 48 goals in 51 games speaks for itself, And his hands complement his goal scoring. He isn't elite on his skates but is able to wiggle his way through the opposing defenders and drive the net with soft hands. He has been all over the draft board so either some team takes their chance to draft him in the early first round or he falls in the back of the first round because teams think that his point totals were bloated because of the partnership with Farrell. The two seasons in the NCAA could determine if he becomes a top six winger or a complementary energy forward for the middle six with very good scoring upside. I'm pretty high on him, so with the right training staff you could see him blossom into Travis Konechny type goalscoring winger with I'd say bigger upside. Those are the consolidated top picks of the draft and when it comes to projecting where the first fins will be drafted, I'd say mid-to-late first round. Altratu will most likely be the first Finnish player taken off the board, but I wouldn't be surprised if either Ville Koivunen or Sammutua Malav surprises and ends up jumping Ratu in the rankings. Both of those guys showed tremendous skill and upside during the U18s, where they were the leading force for Finland's offense alongside defenseman Alexi Heimo Salami. All of these players are projected to go within the first two rounds and Heimo Salminen could even reach the late first round after getting nominated as the best defenseman in the tournament. If some team is willing to take the gamble earlier than expected on the smooth skating right-handed D-man, he could become one of the steals of this draft. Complimentary player Samu Salminen will probably earn the next call on the second day alongside his center. Samuel Helenius, who had a good showing in the league this season. Both of these guys will probably go around late second to mid third round, and Helenius's teammate Alexis Malinen alongside Oliver Kapanen will earn their spots in the NHL organizations between the second and fourth round as well. Whoever picks these two up have long-term projects in their hands, while both have very strong foundations and respectable two-way games which could intrigue teams that want certainty and depth to their pipelines. When it comes to other surprises, I'd say the U18 standout Nikita Chibrikov could go higher than anticipated because of his offensive upside, but since teams are a bit wary about drafting Russian talent, he could become steal in the late first round. Another steal could be his Russian teammate Fyodor Svechkov, who is probably the best two-way forward of this draft class and showed during the U18s that he has some offensive upside as well. Sebastian Kossa, out of Edmonton Oil Kings with huge 6'6", 197cm frame, is probably the second goalie taken in this draft. And if the team drafting him can develop him properly, he has the upside to become the next prime Ben Bishop. And even the best goaltender in this draft, based on his numbers from previous few seasons. Sean Behrens is another undersized demon who, in my mind, doesn't get the recognition he deserves, especially when he plays much bigger than he is. He isn't afraid to play physically, and his strengths already are skating and playmaking. He could become the Tory crook slash some Girard type of defenseman who slots well into the top four alongside a more defensive partner. Logan Koven is another proven goalscorer but will most likely drop in the rankings because of his small stature. But the team who drafts him will get an unpolished diamond to their pipeline since the guy doesn't lack anything else than size. And like the league has proven in the past few years, the size isn't that big of a factor anymore. Expect him to make an impact in the NHL at some point in the near future. Last names I want you to remember coming to draft day are Xavier Borgo, Korson Kulimans, Alexander Kisakov, Arto Martino, Scott Morrow and Francesco Pinelli. While it is widely considered that in the first round you always pick the best player available, but this year it could become more of a consideration what you need, since the draft class seems to be a bit more mediocre with small margins between players, and to me the lack of consensus number one pick even shows that. Depending on how players' shortened seasons went, if they played any games or just participated in the World Junior Championships, greatly factors in which details the teams will emphasize and how much significance does the 2019-2020 season have. You can see huge jumps as well as big drops for some players because it is a very unpredictable but at the same time very intriguing draft. And before we wrap things up, I want to give my prediction on how the NHL draft will end up looking like. For the top 15 and together we can laugh how wrong I was in the future episode. So the Buffalo Sabres will take Matthew Bernier's first overall based on the fact that Eichel is most likely out of Buffalo by the end of the summer. Seattle will take on Owen Power with their second overall pick and hope that he will become their number one demon for the future. Anaheim adds Dylan Genther to bring scoring capability to their lineup with their third overall pick. Devils will choose William Eklund in the hopes of creating lethal partnership with his teammate Alexander Holtz with their fourth overall pick. Columbus then will take Brent Clark with their fifth overall pick to replace Seth Jones in the near future. And Detroit will come out the gates and select Jesper Wallstead with their sixth overall pick. And secure their future starting goaltender then with the seventh overall pick san jose sharks will select luke hughes to their back end and right after la kings select simon edvinson with their eighth overall pick to add another raw swedish defenseman to their ranks vancouver will take crafty forward fabian Lucell with their ninth overall pick and Ottawa will then select centerman Kent Johnson with their 10th pick, while the 11th overall pick has been forfeited. Chicago Blackhawks will select Mason McTavish with their 12th overall pick to bolster their center depth. Calgary will take a gamble on Corson Kuhlman with their 13th overall pick, while Philadelphia will add scoring power to their ranks by selecting Shaz Lucius with their 14th overall pick, and finally the Dallas Stars will select Matthew Coronado to their forward group for added scoring. Like I've said, this draft will be all over the place, so don't take my picks too seriously, but, but it will be interesting to see if I even got one player correct once they start to select their picks on Friday. But that wraps up the episode. Hopefully you've enjoyed this walkthrough. Or at least learn something new about these future NHLers who will make their marks in the future. I will see you again soon because I'll be publishing the expansion draft episode once the official protection lists are finalized. And the NHL rosters have been frozen and I can finally make my own roster predictions for the 32nd team in the NHL. But that's all for today. Remember, stay tuned, stay safe. Until next time, alright.